You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Take your Bible, if you would, to the book of Psalms, chapter number 33. Psalms, chapter number 33. I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July. I know my family did. I think it was a funny thing. They outlawed fireworks in, in our area, and I had never seen more fireworks. I don't know if there's a connection. I guess if you don't give people an opportunity to go see some, they'll create some. So we just sat back in the trampoline in our uh, backyard. Until about 10 o'clock, they were just going over our heads, and it was pretty awesome. And then the fire truck would come rolling through. They would hide them, and uh, then as soon as the fire engine and the police left, they would go right back to shoot them off. So it was, it was a lot of fun. So I hope you and your family got to experience some time uh, just to enjoy being with uh, friends, family, and just enjoying that. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to the book of Psalms, chapter number 33. Psalms, chapter number 33. And I think it's so important in a day and age like we're in currently to be able to study God's word together. I think so much of what's happening, we can find the answers to in God's word. Uh, Many people I'm around as I talk to them, everybody has an opinion about everything right now. And you have a right to your opinion. Your opinion just may not be right. You catch that? You have a right to your opinion. Your opinion may not be right. And that's okay. But yet sometimes when we make strong declarative statements not backed by the word of God or what we interpret the word of God to say. So I want to get back to as a church where we just dig into God's word because his word will influence my thinking. His word will influence my heart. His word will influence my behavior. So that will also change my opinions. So it's not something that my opinions just come from, oh, whoever, the crowd that I hang around or the media that I consume, but my opinions and my attitude and my actions are totally 100% influenced by God's word. That is what Christians were known for, and that's my prayer is why I'm making such a strong push for the word of God that when we come into his presence, that we have a strong sense that we need God's word And uh, I'm not trying to get too political, though I haven't shied away from it in recent days. But I loved how much of God was brought up in the present speeches over the last few days. I've listened to several speeches over the presidency that I can remember beginning so far far back since the uh, 80s. I can remember presidential speeches. And I saw so much of pointing people to God, making statements that we are created in the image of God. Of God. But one of the things that I really appreciated was the fact at the end of one of the speeches that I watched yesterday was that they played a hymn, a song. They played God Bless America. Raise your hand if you've ever seen that. You ever heard that song? Yeah. Incredible song, isn't it? God Bless America. And sometimes, and especially in our culture today of globalism, it seems almost wrong to have a very strong nationalistic uh, pride. And I know pride for a Christian can mean so many things, but yet the Bible does tell us pray for the nation in whose land you dwell that it may prosper. So we are to pray for it and to seek the health and welfare of it. But this morning, I would like to bring a message simply entitled, God Bless America. Because that's really my prayer right now. And I think it should be the prayer of every individual here. That we pray that God would bless America. And I want to look at God's word and how I can make that. Because clearly the scripture does not teach like exactly, oh, America written in there. But I want you to see how we can make such statements. So we're going to go to Psalms 33. But in our nation, you understand it's in trouble. You see that we're dealing with some of the greatest threats we've ever known. We're seeing Marxism rise in our youth. 
We are seeing people being led astray by it. You are seeing this pandemic claiming lives and livelihood. You have domestic terrorists wreaking havoc. You have rampant crime. We have a skyrocketing suicide rate. You have churches shut down. You have a systematic attack on the nuclear family. You have the murder of 60 million unborn babies since we allowed uh, uh, abortion to make it legal. And then you have preachers who've compromised truth. And then we also need to understand that when God looks at our nation, he can also be a threat to our country. Because God is no respecter of persons. He will judge. If God judged his favored people, Israel, by removing their nation, what makes us think that God can't be a threat to America right now? Oh, yes, we, we are definitely sinners in the hands of an angry God. He can't look and just wink at unrighteousness. And so we're seeing all these things happen, and maybe you're sitting there and you're seeing what I'm seeing. You're watching the news. You're reading You're getting around friends and you're seeing how scared they are for their lives. And many of you may be seeing how discouraged things are. And maybe you're thinking what I'm thinking. What can we do? Uh, Psalms 11 says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And it's a great question, isn't it? What can the righteous do? You see, those that are gathered here, I believe that you seek nothing else than you want to see a move of God. You want to see him work. You want to know what he says. You want to draw close to God. And so this morning, you're the type that I believe want to know, what can I do in this day and age? What can I do to possibly tide on everything that is happening? Could I even have a part in making a difference? From the youngest person here to the oldest person here, that question should be on their mind. What can I do? John F. Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. So I'm asking you again, ask, what can I do? Because for many of us, indifference is killing us. It's the apathy that we're seeing. Because we've been just told, hey, what's going to save lives is if you wear a mask, and if you stay home, and you shelter in place, and you stay six feet away, that's what's going to save lives. But understanding, you may save them physically, but there's an eternal salvation that matters so much more. And what happens is today, you are seeing, because we've been told to shelter in place, you are seeing more people not get that hope, not understand what salvation is. There's not more, there's less preaching of true salvation and the gospel. And so what we need in this day and age, what we've always needed in America, and God in his mercy has sent great movings of his spirit. We call them the revivals. We call them the great awakening. The first great awakening in America started in 1744 and went to 1750. It was led by the man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. It prepared our nation for the Revolutionary War. Then you can see that there was another great revival that prepared our nation for the World War. It broke out. It was just a a prayer meeting at lunchtime in New York, and it just broke out there, and it prepared our nation. God has always sent revivals before great times of what I could use the word tribulation, meaning struggle, because that's what we're seeing. Tribulation is the word struggle. And so many people are stepping back, and and they think, well, we've got all kinds of time before God comes back. Understand, as you read Revelation, there's nothing else that God needs to do before he comes back. It's all been fulfilled. Everything's ready. There's not, the only reason God is waiting is because he wants to save a few more. We're not waiting for Israel to become a nation state anymore. That happened. We're not waiting for uh, these old powers to once again resurrect and come into their strength. No, Russia's there. China's there. You see these, these powers back in power. We're not, we're not waiting for uh, the world to be led astray and just easily believed in, in one world government. No, no, no. That's being pushed openly nowadays. There, there's, 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 there's no hiding it anymore. Nobody's pretending anymore. Have you noticed how bold people are nowadays to just show their true colors? That's, so there's nothing else that God is really waiting on except for there's a remnant that is saying, God, please, in your mercy, would you give us more time to reach just one more soul so I can reach my coworkers, so that I can reach my neighbor, so that I can reach my loved ones, my brother, my sister, because they need Jesus. And I don't want to see the rapture happen. And then they believe this strong delusion that they be led astray. So you and I need to say, God, what can we do? And revival is the answer. Revival is the answer. Now, some people, you may be new to church and you say, what is a revival? 
There's many different definitions. The one that I'll use this morning is that revival is the renewal of the wonderful works of Christ in his church. That's what revival is. It's a renewal of the wonderful works of Christ in his church. And he wants to do it. But yet so many of us were so indifferent to the moving of the spirit. We're so indifferent to the leading of God. And I want to quote the words from Gypsy Smith, a famous evangelist in London. And somebody asked Gypsy Smith, they said, Gypsy Smith, how do you have revival? And he said, go and grab a piece of chalk. And then he said, go into your prayer closet and draw a circle on the floor and step into that circle and pray, God, start the revival right here. Many of us are hoping it starts in your husband or your wife or your children or your boss or your neighbor or the president or your uh, hopeful candidate. But where it needs to start for every believer is you get a piece of chalk, you draw the circle, you step in and say, God, search me and know me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. It starts with me. It doesn't start with anybody else. But yet in the church today you are being lulled to sleep by hearing sermons about racial reconciliation. Is it important? Yes it's important. Is it of the utmost importance? No it's not because when the life and heart is transformed by the power of God, the racism is gone. The hatred is gone. The animosity is gone. So let the Holy Spirit do the work, that transformative work that only he can do and we will see a different nation. We will see a different country but but it starts when we draw the circle. So my prayer this morning is that we would draw the circle. That we would say, God, I'm stepping in. I want to see you move. That's what we need. We need that great revival. You say, well, how can it start? What are the elements to seeing the spirit of God move? I'm going to quote the seventh president, Andrew Jackson, where he said, This book, sir, is the rock upon which our republic rests. So let's look to the rock. Do you have a copy of God's word? Please turn so to Psalms 33. Also, if you'd like to take notes on our welcome table, we have some free notebooks. Now, I know everybody loves something free, but I'm, I'm super uh, nowadays just praying that the people of God would once again say, I'm going to study God's word. I'm going to take notes because note takers are history makers. And while you're seeing history being rewritten, 1619, we'll talk about it. Uh, You're seeing it rewritten. It's important that you and I understand, wait, God wants to speak to me. And then you can look back at those moments. You can pull out those journals and see how God spoke to us in times past. So let's go to Psalms 33. And this psalm, by way of introduction, is a psalm of praise and worship to God. That's what this psalm is. It's a psalm of rejoicing. It's the psalm that opens in verse number one. It says, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for his praise is upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with psaltery and with an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. This is, this hymn just, this, this song just opens up with just praise and adoration to God. And it says, sing a new song. When you see that word sing a new song, understand it doesn't always mean that we just always have to sing a new song. It means every time you sing in worship, you have a new heart with new affection and new adoration for God. It's like, wow, I never saw that dynamic of God before. It's not that we come in and we sing these songs that we've always known. It's that now we're, we're seeing God in a new light and in a new way. That's what sing a new song means. So you see, this whole passage is about worship and praise. But then the psalmist turns a corner in verse number 12. Let's begin there. And it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from the place of his dwelling. He looks on the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon those who fear him, on those who hope in mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. 
Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. I love verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It's a decision of a nation. But a nation is made up of names. Your name and my name and your neighbor's name and your co-worker's name. A nation is made up of names. We are the people of this nation. It's up to us to say, God, we want to be a nation that is blessed by you. So how do we once again allow our nation to become a nation that God can bless? Because God had removed his hand of blessing from Israel. Understand, God is a covenant-keeping God. And that covenant extends to the individual, not to the nation. But the nation can receive the blessings of God. If the people of God, which were called by his name, will humble themselves and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and then I will heal their land. Yes, a nation can have healing. But it starts with the names in the nation. And so many times we love to talk in big, sweeping, bold movements. But understand, every movement started with a man or a woman. That's where the movement started. And God wants to start a movement, but he's looking for a man or a woman to begin to move. But so many times, we're so apathetic. We're so indifferent. We just wait for somebody else. We're just crowd pleasers. And we're afraid of cancel culture. And we're afraid of anything that might offend somebody. Instead of boldly declaring what God's word says. That God's word teaches us how we can be a blessed nation. So first of all, would you please write this down? We need to rediscover rediscover God's goodness. You see in verses 4 and 5 of this passage, it says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. His love His loves righteousness and he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. We need to rediscover the Lord that God is good. And we sang about it in our opening song that he is good. We need to rediscover that because many times today we're looking at a pandemic or we're thinking God's not good. Oh, he's absolutely good. He's good in that he spared our life. He's good in that he gives us breath. He's good in that he's taking care of us. He's good in that he watches over us. You see, God's goodness is upon our country. You, you can't look at our founding of our nation and think otherwise. You've you got to look at the history behind our nation and understand that God has favored our nation. There was once a presidential candidate from Brazil who came to the shores of our country in the early 1900s and talked to Mr. William Babson. Babson is the founder of Babson College and he was an, an economist and they were having a debate and he said Brazil is filled with so many natural resources but why is it that Brazil as a country just struggles and struggles and struggles and the president of Brazil said to the economist, he said, when men came to our shores, they were seeking gold. When men came to America, they were seeking God. And nowadays you have people trying to rewrite the history of 1619. You see, the pilgrims and the Puritans landed on these shores in 1620. And they wrote a document called the Mayflower Compact. And because our schools will begin teaching a false narrative of a false history, let me read for you what they wrote in the Mayflower Compact. They said something very powerful. They said, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That's why they came to these shores, to escape the religion of the king. They came to these shores for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't let any revisionist of history say they came here to protect slavery. That was not why the Puritans came here. As a matter of fact, when you study the Puritans of the ships, they were put in the bow, the below the ships. They were put there right with the slaves. They were right there. They were treated as slaves on these ships. So do not reimagine this history as, oh, they were treated any differently. But yet this is what's being taught in these new, new revisionist history. So we as Christians need to know our history because our history informs our destiny. But yet today, we just kind of, take it in. Oh, and if you don't like that, if you want to challenge me on the fact, please do so. I would love for you to read. I would love for you to stop listening to mainstream media on these things and go to history books and then go to the word of God and research these men and these women who came to these shores. What was their heart? What was their, their passion? 
Many people weren't sure if George Washington was a strong believer, but a man that, that knew him intimately was a Quaker who wouldn't fight. One day was looking for George Washington, and he could not find him. And then he went a little ways into the valley of Valley Forge, and he saw a man kneeling in a snowstorm. And he said, this man began to pray as I had never heard a man pray. And then as I got closer, I realized it was George Washington. It was said when they were looking for George Washington in the House of Congress, they would say, how can you tell which one is George Washington? They said, when the benediction for prayer is called, look for the one who kneels. George Washington was the only one who would kneel because he knew I need to kneel before the God of heaven. You see, we need to rediscover once again his goodness, that God has been good to our nation. Look at all that he's blessed us with. Why are we the nation that everyone across the world wants to come to these shores? And what a glorious opportunity we as Christians have to present the gospel. I may not be able to go to some of these closed countries, but those closed countries are coming here. And I have the opportunity to preach to them the glorious message of Jesus as a Savior who loves them, who died for them. I have the opportunity to give them a Bible where they would never be able to buy a Bible. Their internet phones are blocked so they couldn't even download a Bible. You look at social media here. You need to understand, you can't just in China, oh, I want Facebook, I want TikTok, I want, I want Instagram. No, no, that's blocked. You don't, you don't understand that they, the whole nation is blocked. But yet here, you and I, we, we sit with impunity as our Bibles are falling apart. Not because we've been using them, but because we've been neglecting them. But yet there are people who would love to have God's word. And they would love to know that God's word says that their nation can be blessed. When the people of the nation decide that I will live in such a way where God can bless me. But our nation has decided because of our names have decided That we will live in a way that is contrary to the word of God. And I'll stop listening to the preachers. And I'll stop listening to the Holy Spirit in my devotions. And I'll stop praying on my knees and seeking God. And I will stop drawing the circle and stepping into it. Instead, I will get jealous. I will get vindictive. And I will call people out on social media. And I will gossip about people. And I will slander people. And I will get hatred in my heart. Why? Instead of coming to God and saying, God, deal with me. You see, God has been good to us. And we refuse to see his goodness. But if we are going to once again be a blessed nation, we need to return that God has been good. Alexis de Tocqueville came to this country and he wanted to discover its greatness. He said, I looked to your government to find your greatness. And he said, your declaration surpasses any other document. It is superb. He said, look at your education system. It's so advanced for the time. Oh, look at the way the military might of this nation. He was looking for the greatness. And he said, it wasn't until I entered the church and I saw its pulpits aflame with fire that that's when I discovered the greatness of America. You asked me the last time you stepped into a church and you thought, there is fire. I traveled the country in 2005 as a youth evangelist. I traveled several different states. We'd fly and we'd host uh, revivals. We'd hope these, we, we, for a week, we'd go into uh, sometimes inner city or we'd go to the, the hills of Tennessee where there was just nothing there. And you'd get a 15-passenger van and you would just drive for miles just picking up anybody. And then you'd bring them to a church and you would just preach to them. And sometimes there'd be two or three or a dozen. And then we would spend weeks at a time in Detroit, Michigan. And when I was in Detroit, Michigan, a pastor said, I want you to meet a man from India. He's a preacher from India. He said, I want you to meet with him. And he took us to meet a man. I don't remember his last name, but I remember his first name being Matthew. And he walks up to us, and he was the most humble, gracious man. But you stepped into his presence. You knew you were stepping into the presence of a man who knew the face of God intimately. Because when you stepped into Matthew's presence, you knew there was something different about this man. That this man had learned to abide in the secret place of the Almighty. So here am I, a 21-year-old, just stepping into his presence. He said, with such reverence as he took my hand and gave me a bow, he said, you're an evangelist, I hear. And I said, well, it, summer evangelist, you know, it's not, I still go to college and I'm just preaching youth revivals and things like that. And then he asked me a probing question. He said, do you have fire? And part of my snarky, immature self wanted to grab a lighter and say, yes, I've got fire. But I knew what he was really asking. And then he pointed me, looked me in the eye, and said, because if you don't, go home. Because what our nation needs is fire. And then he pointed up to where some birds were on the telephone wire and said, and if you don't know how to get fire, look at those birds. 
You see the birds hanging onto the wire? They're the ones who never fly. But it's the birds who let go that fly. And he said, you need to let go of all this world holds. Let it grow strangely dim. And you lift your hands to heaven. You cry out for God. And you say, God, light me on fire for you. Because when God sets a church on fire, you don't need advertisement. You don't need Facebook ads. You don't need campaigns. The people will come for miles to see a church that is on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we need in this day and age is a church filled with people who have fire, my friend. Because if you do not have fire for your marriage, go home. If you do not have fire for your parenting, go home. If you do not have fire for your small group, then go home. If you do not have fire and you claim to be on the worship team, then go home. Because we have too long dealt with preachers who have no fire. And we need fire in our nation. Because that's where God begins to work. Because the preachers of old had fire, my friend. Oh, I know today we've been told you need the nice little preachers that get a little stool and they cross their legs and their nice pants and their nice jeans and their manicured fingernails and they pontificate to you. They intellectually talk to you and they talk to you about their seminary decrees and how much more they know about God's word. When's the last time they led somebody to Jesus Christ who was dying on their way to hell? When's the last time they opened the word of God and says, thus saith the Lord. When's the last time they didn't mind looking a little dumb, looking a little out of place, because that's what the prophets of old were. The prophets of old didn't mind the fact that nobody accepted them. They didn't mind because they knew I'm rejected by man, but accepted by God. Oh, that we had a church filled with people that didn't mind being rejected by man. Because at the ultimate, we only want to be accepted by God. Because when you feel the acceptance of God, you don't need the acceptance of man. Oh, for the student that's here today that is living for the acceptance of your friends. Once again, say, God, I'm living for your acceptance. Because God, you will deal with my heart. You will teach me that I can live a different way. That I can be a different person. So go out, help me to see once again that you are good. We need to get a revived reverence for the word of God. We need a revived reverence for the work of God. But in our selfishness, we've disrespected God. In our arrogance, we've rejected God. And in our indifference, we've neglected God. And as a nation, if we want to be blessed, we need to get back to the word and the work of God. I'm disappointed in our leaders, our spiritual leaders. And I believe I have a right to say I'm disappointed in them. Because I speak as one of them. And I say I'm disappointed in the fact that you have an opportunity to open your church to 100 people and you won't. Mark it down. I'm not a prophet. But mark it down. I don't mind being wrong because I'm married. So I've learned to be wrong many times. (laughs) And I may be wrong on this. But I think not. The churches that are closed now. When the great deceiver comes to deceive the church, those churches will be the first ones to go. Because Satan is clever. Satan is sneaky. Satan won't come out and tell the church, hey, if you preach, I will send armies with guns into your place and I will rip your preachers out and I will strip you of your Bibles and I will lock you in jail. That's not going to happen. Not for a long time anyway. Instead, Satan's much smarter. There's a disease, a pandemic. You got to shut down. Oh, I feel for your life and your safety. And you just need to close it all up. Because it's not safe. It's not safe for you to preach. It's not even safe for you to sing. Even though the word of God says we will praise the Lord with song and heart. That we will lift our voice in reverence. Because how can I but worship a God who has been so good? If you don't think God is good, it's because you don't have a right view of yourself. That you're so bad. And I know there's plenty of preachers that will be glad to tell you how good you are. And you're welcome to go to them. You're welcome to. But I'm going to give you a right view of yourself. Because a right view of self will lead to a right view of God. And right view of God as he is high and lifted up. Not me. No, 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 no. I 
and made of dust. I am nothing. God is everything. And so we are seeing churches that we need to pray for their leaders. Pray for them. Pray for these pastors. Encourage them. Send them text messages. Please open up. You can have a hundred. So preach 10, 20, 30 times a day. At least give people an option. I know so many people that are texting, calling us, that are saying, thank you for being open. Thank you for being open. You're giving me hope. We got an email from somebody just yesterday. She said, I had a very difficult pregnancy, and because of the pregnancy, I wasn't able to go to church for a year. And then as soon as I was able to go to church, COVID hit, and then all the churches in my area just shut down. She said, I'm, I'm dying over here. I have no hope. I've known this woman for years, good Christian family. But yet they're saying, there's nothing. Where's the church of God? As we're seeing all this happen, as people are just being lied to and people are just following in mass. And where is the church of God? Once again, with the reverence for the word of God. You say, oh, you're old fashioned. And, oh, you're this. No, no, no. I'm sounding the alarm. Because many people will be deceived. Many people will be led astray. It's the same crowd that'll say, we shut down the church. Hey, guys, this Mark of the Beast thing is not that big of a deal. Come on. Mark it down. You say, come on now. No, mark it down. The same pastors who are saying, it's unsafe. We got to shut down. And we need to be smart about it. We can be smart about this. We've got air filters. The room size is half what the attendance was. We've got sanitizer. We've got face masks. We're at 44% of people have been tested in the United States. They say for herd immunity to come in, you need a 44 to a 50% chance. Then you got herd immunity coming in. So you have doctors who are now saying we're so close to herd immunity for the country. The president is right. It might just disappear. But yet here we're so afraid and pastors and churches, when they were told last week in maybe two to three years, they're like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. All right, two to three years. Are you kidding me? Y'all know me. I can't go two to three days without preaching. I can't go two to three days without seeing some of you. I just can't go that long. And some of you are the same way. You can't go that long either. We need once again a nation that says, hey, or people with names in the nation who say, we're going to follow God. Because I promise you, the mark of the beast is going to sound very, very good. As a matter of fact, it may be a requirement for you to travel to another country that you have the mark of the beast. Because that will also have all your records for your immunization. Yeah. All your financial, all the stuff, everything to track you, everything. You say, you're scaring me. No, no, I'm just, I'm just a realist. You want to live in your little bubble. With your preachers telling you that you're awesome. Everything is awesome. And it's not. It's not. The Lego song is wrong. It's a catchy song. But we don't live in the Lego world. We live in a fallen world that God says, hey, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to build a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be better. And so we need to understand God's goodness. I'm running out of time. I know you want more. But we got to keep going. we got to keep going. Notice this. Notice this. Verse 10. Let's look at verse 10. The word of God is so powerful. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. So I said, first of all, we need to, based on this word, we need to rediscover God's goodness. But then we need to repent of ignoring God's guiding. He says, God brings the counsel of nations to not. He says, I'm trying to influence you. He says, you want to do this your own way? I'll make it for not. I'll make it not happen. Why? Because we're seeking our own way. When's the last time we truly sought God on something? You know how many times people have come to me and said, hey, pastor, I'm thinking of moving. I'm thinking of doing this. I'm thinking of this, this, and this. And then I ask them the question, did you pray about it? No. Okay. Well, you're thinking about moving. Did you see if there's a good church there? No. Did you check if there was a good Christian school for your kids there? No. Sounds like this is more of you just wanting affirmation from me to validate your poor planning. That seems that's all it really is. So we have a bunch of people, and let's quote the Bible, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. But that word all is pivotal in that passage. In the Greek, the word all means all. In all your ways acknowledge him. That means all of it. Not just, oh, this might be a great opportunity. 
I'm all for you getting a great opportunity. But I'm all for you staying in the will of God. Because God's will is where you will find his blessing and his favor, his help and protection. When Jane and I stepped out to plant the church, we had no money. We were broke as a joke and we were going to plant a church. The rent on the church was $4,000 a month. We were living on $3,800 a month in the Bay Area. And I didn't starve. I'm doing quite well. Our family was fine. And I look back on those times and I think that had to be God's will. Because there was no other way. It does not make sense. The person who did my taxes is like, I just don't understand this. How God just takes care of you. And I said, it's biblical. Because the word says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. So God will take care of you. So though it doesn't make sense, you will see God's favor. Just like the nation of Israel, as all of Egypt is being ravaged by plagues, there is the land of Goshen that is totally protected by God. The plagues didn't come there. The darkness didn't come there. Nothing affected them. And that's where you and I can be. Where we're saying we're right in the middle of the storm but it's just passing over us where God has just take care of us but we need to repent of ignoring God's guiding you see God even compares the mighty to the weak God's saying it's weak if God's not in it you see God created us and he's going to check on us you see today there's an internal danger and it's a thinking that says revival is not important I need to tell you, revival, you're right, is not important. It's imperative for this day and age. It's imperative that we see God. It's imperative that we experience God in our churches. It's imperative for our nation. It's imperative that we once again say, God, I know you want to come back. And I know everything is ready for you to come back. And at times, I'm just ready to go. Like, I'm just done with this old world. I'm done with its sin. I'm done with its flaunting, its vile stuff in front of my children. I'm done with all of it. I'm just ready to go to glory. But you pray, God, I know that I'm ready to go, but... I think there's a work you have for me to do here. And until that work is done, I'm going to complete it. I'm going to keep working. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us awake unto righteousness. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Romans 13, 11. We need to once again say, God, there's a work for me to do. There's a work here. And we're in danger of just thinking, no, everything's fine. So while we need to repent of ignoring God's guiding... We need to restore God's greatness and glory. Now, I know for some of you immediately, you say, nobody can restore God's greatness. His greatness was not diminished. Correct, you're right. You can't block out the sun. The sun still burns. But you can go indoors and lessen its effect. You can go underground and lessen its effect. So when I say we need to restore God's greatness and glory, we as the church need to once again say, God, restore your greatness and glory in my heart and in my life. Because that's where I can restore it. Because for you and I, we burn cold. The great Charles Haddon Spurgeon went to visit a Christian who used to attend church. And the Christian he hadn't seen in a long time, so he went to his home. And the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon sat with him. And the man said, I don't know if I really need church anymore. And so then Charles Haddon Spurgeon thought for a second, grabbed the tongs that were next to the stove. It was a cold day. And he reached and he brought a coal. And he held it up in front of the face of that man. And they stared at this cold as it was red. It was going red and then began to kind of turn orange and then began to kind of turn parts of it gray and then finally it totally extinguished and he said you are like this coal the closer you are to the heat the hotter you burn the farther you get from the heat the colder you become and for many Christians right now it's real easy to distance ourselves from God it's real easy to just say you know what yeah I'll watch the live stream anytime this week and then we notice that two or three weeks have gone by I was telling Jane, she was like, hey, you need to work out. You need to work out. You need to work out. And I said, I've been working out this whole COVID thing. And she was like, really? Really? You're going to lie to me like that? You really think about it. And then I was like, well, I worked out March once, April once, May once. I worked out once a month. Once a month. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I didn't even realize. I didn't even realize that what I thought was, oh, I'm working out. And then she was like, no, think about it. Think about it. I said, whoa. When's the last time you really spent time in God's word? Not just the, oh man, I got to get to work. <laughs> What's a good verse? And we just go, ah, there we go. As the heart of panteth after the water broke, so panteth my soul after thee. Okay, great. Got to go to work. Like never spending any time to meditate in that scripture. Never spending any time to think about what its words have. 
And then we just want to go about our day and we just wonder why we're, we're so dry and empty and we just have this hunger for God and his word. It's because we're so busy and preoccupied with everything but God. And we need to restore God's greatness and glory. Here's what the word says in verse 16 of our passage. It says, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great power. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. You see, those who fear God need fear nothing else. Those who fear God need fear nothing else. Because God is saying, hey, the, these horses, and you're like thinking maybe, yeah, uh, horses, definitely a vain thing to hope in. I don't, I don't hope in horses. No, no, that, you got to understand, that was the modern military might in that day and age. I don't know if you watched the uh, 4th of July celebration at the White House, and you saw all those powerful machines of war fly over the head. It was awesome. The place would rumble with the power of the might of the American military. But the might of the American military is nothing in compared to the might of God. And he's trying to remind us of that. The psalmist is using powerful imagery to remind us that God is so much stronger. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We've got to get back to saying, God is who I'm trusting in. Right now you say, what do I do during these times? We trust in the Lord to take care of us. You say, I'm looking for a job. We trust in the Lord. You say, I've got financial problems. We trust in the Lord. You say, I've got health problems. We trust in the Lord. We seek his face. We ask for his help. But what we need right now to restore God's greatness and glory is a catalyst. We need a catalyst. You see, what is a catalyst? It's one person who will start a chain reaction. Just one. Just one. God has never needed an army. He's just needed one. And God is always just looking for that one man, that one woman, that will just simply pray. There's a man, many of you probably have never heard of him. His name is Evan Roberts. From the age of 12 to 18, he would pray. And in his journal, he wrote, I am so broken over Christianity, how Christianity is nothing. He said, it's fake. He grew up on the island of Wales and he'd preach and he'd go into the mines and he would work in the mines of Wales and he'd bring a Bible into the mines and he was so convicted by God. Even as a student, he was so overwhelmed by the presence and power of God and he was so broken for God and he would pray and he would pray and he would pray and they said he would pray long into the night and then one night God met with him and he recorded in his journal that at one in the morning God met with him and it was like he communed with the face of God and he said for four hours I met met with God. For four hours, I experienced God. For four hours, I just reveled in his glory. And Ever Roberts brought about and ushered in the great Welsh revival of 1905, where 100,000 people came to Christ because of a student named Evan Roberts, because he said, I am burdened by the plight of the Christian, and I must do something. Oh, that we had some people that were burdened by the plight of Christianity. No, you don't need to worry about anybody who doesn't know Jesus. Let's once again pray for those who do know Jesus, that they would get a touch from heaven that they would experience his power and they'd once again say, God, light me on fire. But it starts with a catalyst. It starts with one person. One person who said, God, there's nothing else I want but you. I desire no one but you. But sadly, we're self-satisfied. We don't need to pray. We're so self-sufficient. We don't want to pray. We're so self-righteous. We don't need to pray. But understand something. There's no such thing as a great man or woman. There isn't. There is no such thing as a great man or a great woman. There is only pitiful, weak, fleshly men and women. But there is a great, powerful, and good God who likes to use weak and pitiful and fleshly men and women for his good and his glory. So he is looking for a catalyst this morning. A catalyst that will become a conduit for the Holy Spirit of God to flow through them. There was a man, he was walking by a field in Amish country and he was in the fields of Pennsylvania and he looked and he saw a man pumping a well. 
See, the Amish don't believe in technology. So he looked out in this field and he sees this man vigorously pumping a well and water was gushing forward and he began to watch the man. It was a curious sight as the water was gushing out of that old pump. And as he watched, he thinks, this guy is tireless. This guy is pumping for a long time. And the water is just flowing everywhere. What's the point? And he started walking closer and he got closer and he got closer. And then he realized it's a tin man. And he said it wasn't that the man was pumping the well. It was an artesian well. It was that the well was pumping the man. It was that the well, the water was going in a cycle. And the cycle would lift the handle and the man's arm would go up and it would go down. It would go up and it would go down. And that's an illustration of the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you to transform your marriage, to transform your parenting, to transform your workplace, to transform your church, and to transform your livelihood, and to transform your purpose. It's the conduit. It's the Holy Spirit of God working through us and in us for his good and his glory and we need Christians that will surrender to that saying God use me use me one old preacher just like to say I'm just garbage at his disposal that's all I am that's all I am that's all we are who will surrender to God Elliot said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain to gain what he cannot lose. We hold so tightly to the things of this world. There's an old hymn. It's entitled Channels of Blessings. Channels of Blessings that God can flow through. We need to be channels of God's blessings. That God can flow through us and to others. That's what we're to be. But for too long, the church has decided to be a stagnant pool We've decided to seek our own way. Well, God wants a conduit. Let me close by saying, revival is not supposed to be radical, my friend. It's supposed to be normal. It's supposed to be normal. This should be the normal behavior. But sadly, we've forgotten Psalms 85. Wilt thou not revive us again, O Lord, that your people may rejoice in you? Will you not revive us, God? That must be our prayer. We must grab the chalk and draw the circle and step in and say, God, revive me. God, revive our country. I hope you pray that prayer for me as I pray that prayer for you, that God would revive you. Many of you are praying for a better marriage and better children and a better job and better employment and better housing. How about you just pray that God revive me and make me a better man or a better woman or a better child or a better better parent. And then God comes in and does that glorious work of transformation. And we will see our nation of names begin to radically transform. And it may be that God will withhold judgment because of a righteous remnant that stood in the gap and said, God, I will intercede on behalf of this wicked nation. It's real easy to point fingers. But how about we once again say, God, point the finger at me and deal with me. If you don't do it now, it may be too late. As we celebrate this 4th of July weekend, please understand something. Please understand something. The horizon is setting on your freedoms as we speak. You don't believe me? If you don't believe me, then you need to see what the governor is ordering towards churches. No singing. No gathering over 100. Does he not know what the Declaration of Independence or our First Amendment rights are? You say, oh, you Christians and your amendment rights. Yes, because those who will not fight for their rights will find one day they don't have any rights to fight for. You fight for it now or you will not have them. And for those of you that do not know, this weekend in Hong Kong at the U.S. Embassy, they were flying American flags in protest, while the protests here in the country, they were burning American flags. We need to say, God, there is such a wicked day, and I'm not mad at the protesters. I'm not mad. 
I'm grief stricken that nobody has shown them the love of Jesus that nobody has showed them you want to change this nation you want to radically transform it you got radical ideals then allow God to enter your heart and transform you and you will see such a radical nation I tell you the socialists would love it because we would be so generous like the church in Acts where everybody sold everything and gave to anybody who had need so that would take care of people's financial problems that would take care of people's medical problems because you say you got a medical bill and you got a housing bill I'll take care of it we would need the socialist agenda we would need the wealth distribution because we would see each man gave to each other as he had common need we just shared we would all have the spirit of Barnabas if we would just let the Holy Spirit enter us because when the Holy Spirit starts to work he makes us good he makes us generous and he brings back the glory of God let's stand because oh we need a touch of heaven oh we need the fire to fall we sang that song and it warmed my spirit and it was confirmation as we began to worship as we heard about start a fire down in my soul start this fire God would you ignite a fire at Southridge Church would you ignite a fire in every man, woman, boy or girl start a fire deep down inside let it overwhelm let it surround us let us go out of here as living torches lit fresh with the flame of the holy spirit of god where every person we encounter they get warmed by the glow of your glory god may we experience it may people desire it may we be hungry for god in our nation but it starts with me oh god I draw the circle and I say, God, I'm stepping in. I'm wholly surrendered to you. Use me, fill me, send me to wherever you want, God. May we be that church. May you be that Christian catalyst. So as we sing, we want to open the altars to you. You can turn your seat into an altar and come before God, or you can kneel here at this old altar at the stage. But let's just take a few minutes to come to God. Pray there with your family. Kneel there in your seat. But take some time to spend it with God. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.